Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar. I'm your host and I hope everyone listening is doing well. Now, I'm sure as many of you know, we were at Adventure X in London at the beginning of November in 2023. Uh, We spoke about our favorite demos uh, at the conference and that episode is available now if you wanted to listen to that. And uh, I spoke about some of our favorite talks as well. And um, but on this episode, uh, we are going to upload uh, some of the interviews that uh, my friend and colleague Matt Latham of the Ask Us About Loom podcast did while he was there. So uh, the interviews will be available here. You can also listen to the interviews on his podcast. And I would strongly recommend that people listen to his podcast. It's a really, really good podcast. So if you like adventure games, uh, he... Uh, speaks about a game with a new person uh, pretty much in every episode. Uh, they do a deep dive into one adventure game. It can be new, it can be a classic adventure game. And I really enjoy listening to it, and I've been part of it a few times as well. Uh, but that's Ask Us About Loom. Uh, but yeah, so Matt Latham was, uh, he spoke to uh, pretty much all the developers showcasing and exhibiting their games at Adventure X. And he was kind enough to share the interviews uh, on this podcast as well. So again, just wanted to let people know that this was done in a live environment. There was a lot of people, a lot of uh, bit of noise in the background. But I think Matt has done a pretty good job of drowning out that noise. So hopefully you can still enjoy it as well. Um, he did use microphones. So I think, it's, I think it should be okay. Uh, it's definitely uh, audible. Um, but yeah, so uh, part uh, two will be out uh, next week. But in the meantime, uh, here is part one of our interviews with uh, Adventure Game Developers and Adventure X 2023. Uh, please enjoy. Yeah, so I'm um, with Jan from Artisy. Artisy? Artisy, yes. Um, which is like a tool for narrative projects. So, um, first question is why did you decide to create it? <laughs> <laughs> um, our founders, uh, back in the day, they were working on the Gothic series, and they discovered that there was no good tool for organizing non-linear content. Um, so they devised, let's, or they had the idea, let's uh, develop a tool that helps you to visually organize non-linear content. And hence, the idea for Artist Draft was born. Uh, and right now, we're looking at the uh, fourth edition of Artist Draft. Um, which enables you to, well, visually manage and structure non-linear content, and the nice part is to export that data into your game engine. Okay, and um, what engines do you be compatible with? So, no, uh, what Unity is one of them. Is there? Unity yeah. and Unreal, um, yeah. as well as we have, uh, or it's going to be coming a generic uh, engine export. Um, and Jason, if you want to do something on your own side, um, so we try to be as flexible as the people who are using it. Okay, so. Um, and I'm assuming the benefits benefits are just easy to map out, like I say, non-linear content. Of course, and in the end, I mean, if you think about choices in your game, um, and you have 
choices that follow choices, yeah. it makes it very complicated at a certain point to actually follow through and keep a clear overview of everything. Yeah. Um, and typically most, um, or at least our feedback so far is that most potential customers, they use um, spreadsheets, which um, are great in their own way, but it's not the ideal tool to actually if you have a very complex game with a lot of dependencies, it's not the best tool to actually keep an overview over complex um, content. Um, hence, um, the visual approach that you have everything structured, and the twist that we have is basically, uh, it's kind of like um, folders on your hard disk. You have a top folder like music, and you have subfolders like genres and albums, and we have the same approach here. You might have a top folder, say like level one, and then you have subfolders like a certain scene or a certain sequence, and then you have the actual um, single lines of dialogue or uh, sequences actually happen. So you can always zoom in and out between these different hierarchy levels, but you still have the complete overview. And that makes the management approach and also the onboarding of different team members easy because they can see it. And you can easily see this branch has a lot of choices and this branch is lacking those choices because they're just one object, so we have to improve it. Okay, so, like, so um, have there been any games that have used it? Um, we have a couple of um, AAA games that have used Odyssey Draft, like yep. Hogwarts Legacy, for instance. Yeah. Um, or also um, a great game uh, if you like uh, political um, choices, uh, Suzerain from Topor Games. Yes. Um, yes. That's a nice one. So Suzerain was dealt with hot. Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. Um, I'm just thinking Gardenscapes is made, or they're using Odyssey Draft. So there are quite a few different titles. It just shows the variety of, of uh, games that are using actually the software. Yeah, and I noticed the Disco Elysium, which is a game I played recently, yes. was in that as well. And yeah, I can, yeah, I can't even comprehend how they would have done that without uh, some sort of tool. They have That's a really big spreadsheet. <laughs> yes, yeah. they have. Uh, I mean, we've been lucky enough uh, to see the project in Odyssey Draft itself. And there are a lot of dependencies and variables because, I mean, what's so unique about this game is that you, you don't have any combat at all, but you have choices and everything um, has consequences and that is what makes this game or a lot of games special, that you actually feel your choices have an impact. Yeah. And it bites you at some point if you yeah. make the wrong choices. And that makes yes. the fun part of the game where you say, ah, yeah. oh, damn, I wish but, I yeah, I think for example, Yeah, for example, with Disco Elysium, there's a point where it took me forever to get, I think it's, yeah, you've, you've played Disco Elysium, so you've played, yeah, okay, don't worry about spoilers. Spoilers, anyone listening to this who haven't played Disco Elysium, it's a point where you have to get into the harbour to speak to the guy in charge, and the only way I could get in was to do a, was to try and jump, and I didn't have the, uh, <laughs> the stats to do it, so I had to build, it. it took me forever to build the stats to do that, but then I think with, but because that's why I had my character to be quite smart and absolutely like crap when it comes to... So yeah, so I'm assuming those dependencies on the skills of the players. Yeah, like if the player doesn't have the athletic skill, they have to go and hit the players. So yeah, I can see. But it just yeah. shows how once once you play with a lot of choices, how immersive a project actually can become. Yeah. And in the end, that's what you're selling. It's emotions and immersiveness, right? So yeah. and the better that is, the more. Um, the happier you are in the end with the game and you say, yeah. oh, I want to replay that and just try a different path. Like typically yeah. everybody, when you start playing a game, you, you do like the good choices, you know, because yeah. you're, not, you're not a bad person, hopefully. 
But then at depends the second... On, depends. I know, I know a, few, a few friends of mine that would, when they first played like Fallout 3, immediately went to bomb everything. Yeah. yeah. So. But then the second playthrough, you're yeah. like, okay, let me be evil, right? Yes. Where's my naked cat that I can stroke and I'm yes. going to do all the evil choices? Yes, yes. Just be of the fun of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the more, the higher that uh, replayability is and the different outcomes there are, the more fun you'll actually have with that with yeah. the game in the end. Yeah, then so the fun and that means probably more of a headache towards the developers, which is which is on again yeah. probably part of the reason you developed at all. So that may correct. So I'm assuming testing and keeping track of everything you can do through that. Yes. So okay. So um, in terms of in terms of fans of games, what kind of game have you played? Any kind of games recently, or have you looked at, have you had a chance to look around here yet to see what interests you? Or? I've, I'm currently quite hooked with um, Jack the Lions 3. Okay. So I'm basically giving a lot of people headshots right now, <laughs> which is not nice, but it's fun. <laughs> so that's what what I'm. Yeah, it, yeah. I, before I was playing Diablo 4, okay. which was also um, fun, but somehow I got distracted. It didn't quite hook me that much as Diablo 3. Uh, and right now I'm, as I said, hooked on uh, Jack the Lions 3. Ah, okay. Is it, have you had a chance to look, look around here yet? No, sadly not. No. I'm looking forward to it, but uh, right now at this point we're still early on Saturday, so uh, still a lot of time uh, yeah. to actually roam around. Ah, okay. Well, um, yeah, thank you very much for speaking to me. Thank you very much for taking no the time. No worries. Yes, I'm with um, Claire Morwood, one of the greats behind Asterism. Yes. So, um, yeah, so... What's generally Asterism about? Uh, so Asterism is an interactive music video game album. Um, okay. So it's an album of music, there's 12 tracks and each one has a level in the game that uh, is basically like the level is the length of the piece of music and then you can... Yeah, my idea for it was that it's like as if you're inside a music video for each track. So. Um, you can like interact with things, you can kind of like almost as if you're like dancing inside the video, I suppose, and making different things happen. Um, okay, so okay, and wh wh where did the idea come from? Is it, when... Yeah, I guess um, I so when I was like younger, I used to write a lot of music and like play guitar and things, and then I sort of stopped doing that a lot in my 20s, um, and it was a way for me to sort of reconnect to that musical side of myself. And I just also thought like it would be really cool to have a game where you could like be inside a music video, I suppose. So, um, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So, and what's the, what's the mind of the game like, mechanic then? So, how do you how does it play? Um, so it's quite simple controls. It's um, just space and arrows, or just like the A button and um, D pad on the controller. And I tried to keep it to like just those <laughs> controls, but then there's kind of lots of like mini games almost. So one of my inspirations for it was like the WarioWare games, where okay. there's like you know lots of like very short interactions, but it's using the same kind of controls. So you don't really have to think too much about like what you're doing. It's just you. You press the buttons and stuff happens. Um, so there'll be. Uh, interactions like uh, movement or collecting things or just making the, the character kind of dance in different ways um, and there are some bits which repeat so like like in a music video or like a song there'll be a verse which then you know comes back but maybe the second time the verse happens it's a slightly different interaction um, and then the chorus which so it's sort of designed to mirror the structure of a song in that way. Okay. So is it, is it are the songs randomised or is it kind of like fixed? It's fixed, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's like you sort of play from start to the end of the album. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, in terms, so what kind of, so what kind of music is kind of like inspired? 
kind of genre of music inspiration? I guess kind of like alternative rock, sort of slightly electronic. Um, yeah, in terms of inspirations, um, I mean, I really like, like spacey, electronic y rock stuff. Like, I'm a big fan of Muse, so it's like okay. that's a, a huge inspiration for me. Yeah. And then, like, bands like, uh, it's a band called like, M83 who um, do a lot of like electronic stuff, who are very cool as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so. and other just like, yeah, like rock music, like. Queens of Stone Age, and I mean, it, it, yeah, not that it necessarily sounds like that, but that's like the bands that I listen to that then probably like filter into the. Sort of oh, okay, so how did that work? How did that work in terms of the kind of the video game at home? And then did that? Did you just like one day just realise oh you can make a game based on this or? Um, I think it came from like a few. There was a few game jams that I did, like that where I sort of like experimented with ideas like that, um, and then I think it just built up over time is like oh there's like there is some cool stuff that you could do with um with music and video games that i would like to try and um like build on what i've done before and i so i did a lot of games that were just sort of you fixed to the length of the track and then walking along and kind of more of an experiential um i guess like an, an animation that you could have some form of interaction with I suppose. Is that, like um oh, i can't remember what it's called it's like a game from the PS1 era where you play like a rabbit and he was generated as he was. Oh, oh I don't even know what it's called. It's called now. It's rabbit. It was one of, it's one of those. It's kind of like um, it would generate the the level um, okay. based on the beat and the music. But you had to kind of like hit buttons and. Oh, can't... there's a game called like Parappa the Rapper. Is that which I know that people recommend <clears throat> to me and I've not played yet. I don't know. If oh, Parappa Rapper is one of the. It's great. No, it's, it's not like. It's, okay. um, <clears throat> But the levels are more auto-generated. Hmm. I'm going to kick myself now. I'm really annoyed at how oh, that game is. I mean, let me know, because yeah. I would love to play it. Yeah, I want to say Vib Rabbit, but I don't think it's that. Um, anyone listening to this day is probably shouting, <laughs> shouting at me, going, how the hell do you not know it's this? I mean, well, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so in terms... So, Expanding towards like the uh, game in general. So, is there any? Have you had a chance? I mean, it's early. It's early at the moment. It's like first thing on Saturday. Yeah. But, but you've not had a chance to look around at anyone else yet, or any. No. Um. The only the only other game I'm really aware of is um, Windrush Tales. Um, yeah. As I'm one of the developers on that as well. Um, yes. Yeah, so just yeah. I'm just speaking to Corey. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's it's yeah, it's definitely <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, and I really like it. Um, I haven't had a chance to have a look around yet. I mean, the ones that I can, like, there's, like, miniatures over there looks extremely exciting from, like, the artwork. And I think I've seen, like, the trailer of that. And, um, I'm, yeah, I'm very excited to just have a, a wander around yeah. and see what's here. Eventrex is always really fun. Yeah. So, like, in the past year, so what kind of games have you been playing and enjoying them? Uh, has there, and has anything influenced Astonism? Uh, what have I been playing recently? Um, I, I mean, for Asterism, um oh, my God blank on all, all the games I've played. <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry, I've literally gone blank. No, it's fine. Someone asked me what people, what gigs I went to recently and I completely yeah. blanked yesterday and I was like, I can't remember, I can't remember what I went to last week. It's like, it's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, um, but do, you, do you play many of like, the AAA games or anything, or is it more kind of... Yeah, I've been playing a lot of, like, Pokemon this year, just, oh, when, like, you know, when um, the new, the new one came out, um, yeah, I've Scarlet Violet, that's the one. Yeah. Um, then I was playing, like, a lot of that. And um, I am, like, looking forward to this, like, a new Dragon Quest Monsters game coming out soon, that I'm very much looking forward to. Um, so, yeah, I play a lot of, like, JRPGs and stuff. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm not... So I'm here with Laura for, from
So, yeah, so what's Cabernet about? Cabernet is a vampiric narrative RPG. It's the best way we can describe it. There's elements of visual novel, obviously adventure as well mm -hmm. in it. Um, and for us, the important thing is we make emotion-driven games at Party for Introverts and uh, kind of a little bit of the thematic element of Cabernet that was important to us and that we explore in the story is themes of vampirism as a metaphor for alcoholism um, within families, within relationships. Ah, okay, so where did the idea come about? Yeah, so um, my partner Arseni and I have always wanted to make a vampire game. It was always something we really wanted to do. We both had an interest in it. You know, obviously there's incredible games like you know Vampire the Masquerade that we grew up playing. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, since I mentioned before, our games are very much emotionally based. We didn't quite have we, we didn't have the through line for us of what we wanted this game to kind of be centered around. Um, so about around 2019 kind of the impetus for the story came around themes of alcoholism which are things that you know a lot of people um, are games inspired by Eastern Europe um, it's obviously an issue throughout the world but as well as you know a little bit more specifically in Eastern Europe so that's kind of where we rooted the game um, and just wanting to kind of explore you know even a little bit inspired by personal relationships we've had people who've struggled with it um, and also just tell an engaging story about kind of, you know, society at the time and how society's a little bit cyclical in terms of corruption and human struggles. Ah, so what's the story, so what's the basic story then? Absolutely. So yeah, it's set in the, um, an alternate timeline, if you will, but the end of the 1800s. Okay. So when there was a lot of, you know, obviously change and flux happening between yeah, yeah, those yeah. industrial revolutions that were happening and thinking about people and humans as you know, a commodity in some regards as we entered a more technological age. Um, and so that's something we wanted to explore as well, just uh, that idea, but how the human or vampiric relations, if you will, kind of existed in a small kind of community in an outskirt village. Okay, so, you, so when you're describing a game, there's like a mixture of different kind of like genres, like visual novel stuff. So how does yeah. the game play? Is it, is it point and click? Is it point and click elements? Are people yeah, so um, I would say, I know my, my partner, my co-founder, Arsene, probably wouldn't want to describe it as point-and-click, um, but <laughs> as much as we love point-and-click games as well. Um, Nicely saved. <laughs> Nicely saved in a convention full of point-and-click Right, right. No, we, we do love them. Um, we do call it a narrative RPG because, again, story is the most important thing for us. Um, and there are elements of kind of building your skills around which characters you want to befriend, and your skills might influence whether or not you can learn and you know some of these stories are told um, around you um, so yeah narrative RPG a little bit of visual novel elements I think we picked a lot of mechanics and kind of genre elements that we felt served the story the best so our we always start from story and emotion and kind of we pick and choose from different genres okay um, to what we feel suits best for what we're trying to tell and convey ah okay okay so um, so how big is the team? Is it just, is it just two of you doing everything? So yeah, we are the two co-founders, um, and so we're the two main people who are working on it. We obviously work with a handful of really talented freelancers um, who helped us, you know, with additional writing for characters and background art um, specifically. But I'm the art director. I did um, the character uh, character art, um, you know, basic animations. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do story editing. We wrote the story together, and my partner Arseni, he is the lead writer. Um, as well as programmer. Um, so, you know, we've got to be a little bit of a jack of all trades yeah. when you're a two person team. It's like doing as much as you can. So. Absolutely. So, this is your first game. Is first this game? is our first um, full length game. Full yes. Game, so, so, we've done a couple, kind of like testing the waters, uh, smaller games. Thing in itself was, act which was actually at Adventure X 
um, I want to say it might have been 2016 or 17, I can't quite remember the year, um, but we, we've been here before, but it was a 15-minute experience, which was actually about relating Kantian philosophy thing of itself to, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, just, you know, let's, let's try another thing, uh, to a relationship. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, we've tested the waters and, you know, we gained some skills along the way, which led us to dive headfirst into this project. Oh, okay. So is, is your background in games development or is this just like... Yeah. So my partner is. He used to work for Sony PlayStation. Um, okay. So he's a producer. We're actually both producers, just a little bit different genres. I um, trained a theater producer. So I was actually okay. in the theater world um, for many years. Um, even before the pandemic and the pandemic actually didn't change it, we had shows that in 2019 that we were kind of look into this project further, but I have a background in theater producing as well as I'm a voice actor, which is okay. helpful when you want to voice in a thousand page script um, <laughs> for a game. So, yeah. you know, half the dialogue I get to do, which is also quite fun because I, I enjoy that aspect and I've gotten to do voice directing to a greater degree for the first time. So that's ah, okay. So, ah, okay. So, okay. So it gives you like an idea of how a story Absolutely. goes to the next yeah, one. Yeah. Ah, okay. So how much, how much of the actual story in the set and the staging of like the set pieces, is, that, is it very theatre-based or, or is it more like a... That's a good question. Um, I think something for both of us, we've always kind of been interested in kind of just the general meld of genres and we think mm -hmm. that a lot of both skills as well as artistic elements are transferable between genres. So I'm sure that my theatre experience has absolutely played into thinking about how to craft a story, um, how I want the characters to be. Um, in addition to that, I'm a... I love, I'm a huge reader. I you know studied English yeah, literature yeah, yeah. and thinking about how people craft also like horror novels, like modern horror novels, and thinking about how every chapter we have chapters in our yeah, game yeah. are kind of shaped around you know that little bit of a surprise element at the end, or have their own little consistent arc for every single chapter. So definitely different elements, literature and yeah. theater, have influenced it. Yeah, I was just talking. I was just talking. I was just thinking about it, like particularly point and click two D games. Yeah. They are kind of more or less theater. Because you have the one angle, and everyone walks in and out. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Even yeah. from a yeah technical perspective, um, as I mentioned, it's a little bit visual novelly um, in that you have lots of conversations that are dialogue between characters. But we do walk around in between, and there is a bit of exploration. So thinking about how we stage it correctly to make that the most engaging for the player. Mm. Oh, okay. So um, going beyond the going beyond the actual game itself. So um, and. I've asked this everyone, and I know the answer, but uh, have you had a chance to walk or look around at anyone else yet? <sighs> Sadly, I've, I've kind of been stationed here. Actually, my co-founder is literally doing that right now. This okay. is our first time, so I wish I could give you more feedback for that. Um, I mean, the people have been absolutely lovely. There's so many games I'm interested in playing. Uh, I'm sure we'll take a, I'll take a little shift right yeah. after he comes back. A quick dash around, see exactly. the competition. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I truly, yeah. I think such a fun thing about you know adventure games is that even though it's, it's a genre, it does feel really diverse. Um, so there's yeah. definitely a seat for everything, and everything feels like it's a slightly different project that's happening. So yeah. I don't think of it as competition. I think of it as, you know, a different facet of uh, kind of the genre. Yeah, there's like, yeah, from what I've seen from today, yes, there's like a uh, kind of almost JRPG yeah. uh, like adventure game of uh, Octopus City Blues, then you've got... Uh, I was just speaking to Tom at uh, Toy Story where he's talking about Air of the Dog, which is the more traditional two-based one. And you've got Gone Home, like games like uh, the White Thing and stuff. And it's and um, I think Direct Drive where it's the play date where you have to use a crank and stuff. It's, yeah. it's very, 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 very different how like narrative games have changed Absolutely. these days and stuff. So like, you, you, yeah, well, like, people will. I've spoken about Venture X and stuff, and like the, the automatically will go to point and click, which is kind of the default. Mm -hmm. But narrative games have like evolved. Absolutely. All the way through, haven't they? So, uh, and I think, yeah, you mentioned, I think 
with Cabernet as an example, we don't feel like we're confined to necessarily being like the exact model of what. There's a lot of traditional elements, but we don't have to stick to that formula. Yeah. We can incorporate other things, and it's fun to see that. Um, so what? So I think away from the development, what have you been playing, or have you been? Have you been or what have you done to escape from it? So this yeah. is, I've had a mixture of answers. So I've had people who have deliberately went to go and play Call of Duty, even though I'm not a Call of Duty fan, because they can't touch the genre while they're developing. Yeah. And then we've had some people who have kind of like played other stuff and been influenced by stuff. So have you, have you had any? Sure. I have been playing, well, I, I've actually been playing a lot of visual novels, actually, which I think is helpful because I, I came from, you know, originally playing uh, like Dragon Age was like my favorite game, for example. And yeah, yeah. so... I, I've been playing a lot of visual novels recently, which I think you can probably definitely see an in, uh, influence in there, yeah, um, yeah. which also, in fairness, also gives me a little bit of escape. But I also, I still go to a lot of theater. And I, you're, I loved your question before, because I do think just seeing live shows as well uh, helps to kind of influence and, uh, you know, help me shape the characters and be a little bit more, like, aware of, you mm -hmm. know, the emotion. I'm, I live, because I, I go blind by line and put an emotion for each character. So even just... You know, seeing live live action is really helpful. So I would say a lot of theater right now. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. So, um, but yeah. So, um, I'm not, yeah, I'll keep going. So, is it is it out or is it? Is Pardon? It, is it still in development? It is still in development. So right now, yeah, uh, we have a very limited time demo on Steam. By the time this goes out, it might not be available anymore. Um, however, it's fully voiced right now, so that's our new thing. Um, so it's a fully voiced first chapter of the game, including the introduction. And um, we are in full development right now. So 2024, don't have an official date right now, yeah. I can tell you. But 2024 is the absolute <laughs> planned release date for this. The future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting to me. And um, yeah, I look forward to trying to have pop on when it's free. And there we go. So thank, thank you, you very so much. much. So yeah, I'm here with Daryl Carroll from Digital Mindset Games to talk about yeah. Castle Dornstein. Castle Dornstein. Dornstein. David's very specific about it's that. Specific, yeah. Yes. So why is, why is it specific? Why is it specific? Because uh, I think it's just the proper pronunciation of the Dornstein is very important. Kind of like uh, Jewish history, as well as kind of the Czech kind of region. It, it, uh, okay. Ask him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's the game about, Mark? So what's the game about? So the game is about, um, basically, it's set in the kind of 1800s Bohemia in uh, Czech Republic. And you play as Hemlock. He's a librarian. And he's been kind of summoned to this castle by a guy called Lord Fyodor. Who, yep. He has this ancient text, this Latin text called uh, the Devil's Diary, is what it translates to. Um, Hemlock is a, like ancient Latin expert, so he's a librarian. He's been summoned to translate. Uh, obviously, once he gets to the castle, something happened. The book was missing, and then it's a mystery. Oh, what happened to the book? Is there something paranormal going on? You know, it's all for the player to find out. But yeah, that's the that's the elevator pitch. Okay, so and I mean, so how long have you been working on the game? So we've actually been working on it since 2019, so it's been a few years in the pipe. Uh, we all work full-time jobs, it's all kind of a passion project, so, um, you know, so it's been very slow. Uh, game is uh, hopefully coming out 2024. Okay, um, and what, what was the genesis for the idea? Why did you decide to focus on Well, so I'm probably the, the absolute worst person to ask about this because <laughs> basically... Uh, I was a late join to the team. Uh, when we started on Castle Dornside, they'd actually just come off the back of a different project called um, uh, Metaphobia. It's a free game on Steam, actually, another adventure game. I think I've played it. Have you played Metaphobia? Metaphor oh, very good. Uh, Metaphobia. It's like um, Sumerian kind of uh, 
like modern day thriller. Yeah, I think I've played it. Really? Yeah. Maybe you have. Like that's them. That's I the was name, in, the yeah. name rings a bell. I'm yeah. pretty sure I've, I've played something similar. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, I've uh, I didn't work on that. That was a guy called Tolga. Now he kind of had he that was his baby. He made that game, and he was like, I'm done making it. So then David uh, came up with this story. He's from the Czech Republic, and yes. you know it's a, it's set there, and it has a lot of history there. Um, so I met them on the Adventure Game Studio forums. I just contacted yes. them okay. out, out of the blue, like, "Oh, I do pixel art. Do you need a pixel artist?" And they had me do an audition, and um, yep, yeah, I'm here just doing pixel art and the graphics and animations. Now, yep. Yeah, so, oh, okay. so now, how, sorry, what? So how long have you been doing pixel art in general? So. When I tell people this, it makes them feel very old. When I started doing pixel art to make Minecraft skins when I was like 10, right? Or something when I was a young kid making Minecraft skins, right? Well, you made me feel old because I'm pretty sure I was an adult Minecraft kind of. Well, this is it. That's why I say <laughs> everybody always goes, rolls their eyes at me. Yeah. But that's how I started. Then I kind of started making um, game maker kind of games, like little fun games for myself from that age, around 10, 11. I started taking interest in games dev. Um, I'm actually a software dev by trade, so I've kind of gone up through code and everything, but I stuck with pixel art just because uh, it's kind of my hobby, my passion project. So, um, so yeah, I love it, yeah, I'm still doing it today, so. Ah, okay. So, and, um, yeah, in terms of the actual art, so the art style of this, it's not very kind of deliberate. Was you given a brief, or how much freedom was you given on the... So, I was given very little. I was told <laughs> to design the style of the game, right? The last game, Metaphobia, you may remember playing it, you may not, was uh, it's all rotoscoped animation. It was very grounded, very realistic looking. This story is a little more fantastical and a little more gothic, so I decided to uh, take it a little more fantastic. I went with kind of a Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis inspiration, yes. that kind of look. Obviously, everyone says, oh, I love Lucas art games, you know, so um, that was kind of my angle, was that the visual inspiration came from kind of Indiana Jones a lot. Um, yeah. Okay, so in, so in terms of um, moving away from the game for a second and talk about your actual fandom of genre, do you, have you played much um, like interactive fiction? Yeah, so games um, I have a bit of a, a checkered past because, again, uh, I'm, I'm like furthest field, I'm actually a bit young. A lot of this was before my time, but around the time I was about 15, 16, right? This is a stupid story, so I'm going to go on a rent for a second. But... Um, <laughs> I, I, I got a jailbroken Nintendo Wii, and you could get the Scum VM um, like emulator on that. And I found that the Wii was like perfect because you were just pointing at the screen and clicking things. So I played Monkey Island, Indiana Jones, Full Throttle, all those on my jailbroken Wii. And then I was like, these games are fantastic. I love them. So that that was more or less it. Is just you know finding that perfect happenstance medium for it. Yeah, and I've just been interested ever since. I play very few. Of these games today, I'm kind of, you know, since I've been working on it, I have very little wish to play. Uh, so I play more like shooters and kind of more modern stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, huge love for the genre, and it was a huge part of my kind of teenage growing up uh, time. Yeah, same. Uh, wasn't on a jailbroken jail Wii, it was on the only Amiga 1200. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, insert this three. It's a four. little bit it's different than a Wii. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> a little, yeah. little different. Yeah, it took a lot longer to load, I think oh, it was. But course, yeah. no, that's a pretty, very interesting experience. So you're using the touchscreen, the, um, the, the Wii, Wii remote, remote yeah, to move around. Clicking, like it was just, I was shocked by it. Like I don't know, I, I, it's, I didn't know. I sorry, downloaded this thing. I didn't know what to use it for. As I had this new uh, thing. I just said, "Hell, I'll try it." And if you have a Wii at home, highly recommend. There you go. <laughs> Monkey Island on the Wii, banger. 
Have you had a chance to walk around and look at the other stuff? I, we have been non-stop since we yeah. got here this morning, to be honest. Now, I have had a glance around, and my God, some of the... Like I, I mentioned there, I'm an artist. Some of the pixel art in here makes me want to cry. I want to rip down all these banners and, <laughs> and hide it all away because it's so good. What was it? The, the one over here, the haunting or the... I can't think of it, but there's a... But yeah, there's a, so many amazing games on this place. Yeah, okay. Well, thank, thank you very much for Thank you very much for having nice. me. Yeah, cheers. Thanks nice. very much. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm here with uh, Mariola for Clem. So, uh, so what's the basic idea behind Clem? Clem is a Puzzlevania adventure game uh, where you uh, control a little doll, a ragdoll, that you wake up in a cellar and it, of an empty and abandoned house, apparently abandoned house, and, and then you need to explore and look for the house because a voice tell you, uh, hey, you wake up and bring me beauty. So the whole game, you are going to gather like pieces of information, clues, uh, solve some riddles, puzzles, and like follow the boys uh, to unravel what is happening to the house, who are you, who's the boys, and what is your purpose, and, yeah, yeah, okay. and, and what is everything. <laughs> yeah. Like a gradual mystery box type thing, so you reveal what's happening. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, so when, when, so when did the idea, when did the idea start? What, what, what kickstarted the idea? So. Yeah, it w this is all based in a like in a short story I made for the university where, while I was a, st a student, uh, twelve years ago or something like that. Really, really long time ago, and it was like left town in a drawer and. We really like to take like these kind of stories I made just for the sake of being like uh, classic uh, comic stories and written stories and translate it into a, into a game and interactive experience, let's say. Okay, so it's the first game you've worked on? No, 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 it's the fourth one. Okay. We have already three games published. Uh, the two first games, they are also an uh, point-and-click adventures. Um, more narrative and more like this kind of vibe. And the third game is a beat em up. So we change a little bit, <laughs> but but with a narrative layer because yeah. we really always like to be really focused on the story. So we try to combine to combine different kinds of gameplay to tell what we are think is the most important thing you need to know about the game. So we try to adapt the gameplay a little bit. That's interesting. So you've gone for the gameplay mechanic that suits the story. Yeah. So so, yeah, 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 so this didn't, so this wasn't a beat em up then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. So, how did you find the trans? did you find the transition between the different styles? Was it was it interesting to go to be beat em up then back to to this? Was it easy to? Easy yeah, to yeah. It was. It was like uh, yeah. It was like supernatural to flow from one to another, uh, and people all, always like oh, asking about to go more like. Mm, old school us so we are happy to really like make our comeback to the yeah to, <laughs> to, more, to the John, John. Yeah, yeah 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 we don't know you are going to nail it because this is a little bit different because it's more um, a moody adventure uh, it's not like super heavy on dialogue and not super heavy on talking to other characters that kind of vibe of more the classic point and click adventures yeah, yeah. this is more like on this uh, kind of modern twist 
of the adventures more um, you navigate with a 3D controller yeah and so it's kind of like um, like how walking simulators have, yeah, for, yeah. like for the yeah. last like 10 years like from when Gone Home was here yeah, you're, yeah. Like, you're a solitary yeah, yeah, yeah. person like, walking around yeah, yeah with okay. and Finch and that, and that kind of yeah. stuff yeah but like the third but like you're in the third person view type yeah, thing yeah with yeah, the 2D with the 2D graphics yeah yeah I think that's like a natural development of the genre mm. so you can kind of have uh, storytelling that's not just constantly dialogue heavy and stuff, yeah. not text based. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there is text and there is uh, voices, but yeah, you don't need to to talk to other characters. You you get the information for your own uh, for your own thoughts as a person and always uh, and also as a character because you have a notebook and you take notes <laughs> and. And yeah, you, you have like these ideas you get from the character that merge with your own ideas as a person. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, branch away from the game seconds for a second. So, have you been playing anything recently that's been influencing this, or have you been playing anything to try and take a break from this at all? So, what kind of games have you been playing? Wow, uh, I, I, I've been on a hiatus of, make, of playing games because we've been developing the game from, for three years. So right now the game is already done. We are working on the Switch port. So at, at this at this point of the of, of the development, it makes no sense to get influenced by. But the last thing I I played was uh, the last Zelda, the Zelda. Um, um, the Wild or the, no, no, the, no, the new one. The new one. Yeah, <laughs> I've not played that yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and yeah, we we I really like me and. My partner Jordi, we are really into Zelda games, so we really like this kind of uh, puzzle, uh, really cool feeling of uh, getting the puzzles. But the story in the Zelda is really poor, so <laughs> so we try to get this kind, yeah, of Zelda puzzles, but with a really cool narrative yeah. experience, not like uh, save the princess narrative, right? Yeah, I mean, as great as as great. As I've not played the new one, but Breath of the Wild, yeah. as great as it is, yeah, it's, it's just more or less like solid protagonist has to go save the princess again. Again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. just a different MacGuffin that you have to collect. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a shame, really. I think there's a lot of scope for storytelling in uh, Link and stuff, and particularly yeah. with particularly how solid protagonists or have, have developed throughout. There's a lot of stuff you can probably can do with, that, yeah. with like Link exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Nintendo doesn't care because they already sell the game with a really poor story. So yeah, they're going to make yeah. it that way forever. Just, I am yeah. not sure. It's just annoying that they're really good games. We just you just wish there was a bit more story to them. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. That's a shame because I think yeah, that's true. They have like. Huge uh, material to make, uh, yeah, something really compelling, something really, really good uh, story-wise. But they decide not to. But well. Yeah. No, really first. Have you had a chance to walk around and look at anything else yet? No, 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 no. no. So We've been here like locked yeah. in this chair for the whole the whole morning. On the one side, that's probably a good thing. It means you're busy and people are interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because anytime I'm like a little bit like free, some somebody approaches me to say hi uh, what is the game about so yeah so yeah yeah I'm, I'm happy I'm happy with it no that's good that's good well um, thank you thank you for speaking to me and um, thank you thank you you too thank you very much thanks so yeah I'm here with um, with Chris for Direct Drive yeah so uh, how's it going yeah it's really good I've just had a I've just had a quick play of the game um, I wasn't sure what to expect um, your hand on, it was like it looked like a Game Boy game then uh, Gave me this little device, 
and then I started playing through it, he started telling me to turn the crank, and I had to start turning the crank out through it. So, uh, what was the genesis of the game? To get to that I mean, the real, the, so the genesis of the game is that in uh, May of 2019, I saw the Playdate hardware, because that's when they, they announced it for the first time to the world, and, and I, I immediately had an epiphany about writing a game for it. Because my, I'm not a gamer. This is I'm 56 years old. This is the first game I've ever written, and um, I was inspired. So I saw it, and because of the crank folding out, I was like, I had been doing a podcast about the history of recording and the and the turntable. Okay. And so I was already in my mind, and uh, when they turn, I I originally thought you'd turn the playdate sideways with the crank facing you, so it's like breaking through the fourth wall, right? And, and you work it that way. So the, the, the conceit, the thing that I came up with immediately was, you're an intern at DAC Vector, the world's greatest recording company, and uh, it's your first day, and uh, Hilda Vox Pop, the famous soprano, is coming in to record her new album, uh, and there's a problem, and the problem is that the, the Vectrola that's, that plays her music, because she, she brings her backing tracks on her record, and, um, and they play it, and then she sings along with it, and they make a new record, that's yeah, the yeah, idea. Yeah. Here, you can play it if you like. Um, and um, uh, and but the problem is the motor has been broken, and so you uh, you're the only free hand as the intern, uh, and so like you have to crank her music at just the right speed, and she has perfect pitch, so she's always going to hit the right notes. If if you crank too fast, she's going to sound flat. Yeah. You, yeah, you get it. So uh, I that was my that was the idea I had, uh, and. And I was like, I got it. And part of it was that I was so excited about the um, the season concept because I saw the thing and I was like, wow, I want that. I want to do something for it. And then I heard about their idea of seasons where originally they were going to release one game a week for 12 weeks. So three months of new games, right? Uh, they, they eventually made it you know, two games a week, 24 games. But when I heard that, I was like, this is brilliant marketing because I know that, you know, Within a week of them posting it on Twitter, 150,000 people had signed up for their mailing list. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I talked to my friend Dimitri. I was like, look at this. I'm going to write a game for that. And he said, I'd like to help. Yeah, yeah. And so the two of us, uh, and he had a friend who's an artist, and we made a pitch that we sent to Panic. Uh, so, so we saw it in May, put a team together, the, Dimitri and I and one other guy making a pitch in uh, June. We sent the pitch at the end of July. In the middle of August, they said, we love your idea. We're going to send you the SDK and the hardware. And then we started working on it. We've moved, and, and then COVID happened. One of the guys in the game died. You know, um, uh, the supply chain stuff happened. So finally, and, all, and, and in a really weird way, all of those things were beneficial for us because it gave us more time to work on the game. And so finally, when March happened, uh, they were like, March of 2023, they said, you know, I kept saying, can we be in the second season? Because there's a certain cachet with that, and I was excited about it. And, um, and what happened was, they said, we don't know if there's going to be a second season, and if there is, people are going to have to pay for it. But your game's really close to being done, and we'd like you to be a launch title for this catalog, this on-game, you know, on-device uh, store we have. And I was like, hell yes, right? Because I wanted us to... I, in my mind, that's being like being blessed by them. Yeah, yeah. And immediately, so like, you know, I'm a nobody with a game company, this fictional game company called Dak Vector, which is based on the game, so it's self-referential and everything. And so overnight, we're a legit thing. 
which I mean, obviously, four years in an overnight, right? But like, so that's what happened, and uh, and that's and that's where we are now. And then I've been applying to all sorts of things because people weren't expecting a playdate game to have this like level of uh, immersion or detail or you know. 20 minutes yeah. of songs, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, what, threw, what threw me, I think you mentioned this before, before we started talking, was that right. you handed me this device, which looks like a kind of emulated Game Boy. Right. Yeah, I started playing it, and the audio quality is like proper stereo. Oh, yeah. Set, and I was half expecting like 8 bits. I know, everybody is expecting it yeah. to be like 8 bits. The uncanny valley of, yeah. of, like, of, the, of the aesthetic of the graphics. The graphics are pretty much Game Boy style. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, so yeah, and this, the device is. Uh, Sorry. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, because I think it's on about like it's a one bit display. Yeah. But, then, like, and then, but, the, but it's like full stereo. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, I didn't really. So, what's funny is when we, when we, um, do you mind if I sit down again? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, when we originally started talking about it, I was going to make the music sound old timey and mono, and it sounded like shit. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like, nobody's going to like this. So I, so, I decided we made it stereo. We uh, use this, um, it's, it's not new, but it's brilliant, this uh, encoding called Adaptive Pulse Code Modulation. The guy that, um, this guy named David Bryant, who wrote the, um, the library we used to do the time compression and expansion of the voice, because that's happening in the audio domain and yeah. not the frequency domain, which makes it a lot easier to do on this hardware. And, um, and so when he, I didn't tell you this already, right? When, when he, um, when I asked, I said, this is what we're doing. He's like, oh, yeah, no, we could do that. What do you, he said, uh, what's your business model? Which I thought was hilarious. And I said, my business model is I like doing cool shit with my friends. <laughs> and he said, oh, I understand that business model. I'll open source it for you, which I thought was incredible. Yeah. So the music in the game, is that all originally created for the game? I wrote all of the music. I, I wrote, performed, recorded, mixed, uh, produced, uh, found the other singers. Uh, I wrote some of the lyrics or, you know, said, hey, like the the singers are all great. Um, I, I would either I would either write some, like the like either the first verse of something or say I want it to be like this. Or in the case of um, do you know the songs? Have you heard them before? So like there's a song called now called Mama Needs a Drink. No, it's called Let's Go to Town. But it, when I when I started writing it, I called it Mama Needs a Drink. And then I like recorded myself singing an idea of it for the for Athena who ended up singing it and uh, it's funny because she was very clearly like I'm not doing that here let's do this instead and it was yeah. much better okay yeah so I'm, I'm kind of double I'm couple double dutying on podcasts at the moment sure. so, so, so the other podcast I do ask us about movies about fan sure like, like the fan experience of the game you say not much of a gamer so have you, have you played much no I mean uh, so like this is funny so like I um I, I was never, you know, my uh, like my dad won an Atari 5400 or something when I was a kid, so I was good at that game where you're like, it's a side screen, you know, side scroller where you're yeah, picking yeah, up yeah. people and dropping them off. They're aliens or something, you know. What yeah, I, mean? yeah. uh, I think Defender. I was good at Defender, right? But then I never had a Game Boy. Never, never had a PlayStation uh, until I saw that there was this cultural phenomenon about the game Destiny when it was coming out. It was just it just seemed massive and interesting. And so I, I, I bought a PS4 in Destiny, and because I'm so much not a gamer, I've only played through two games. I played through so, Destiny and Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, then, your, so your entry into gaming was a PS4? Yes. Wow. And, and when I, I'm, so, I'm so shit at gaming 
that when I played Destiny, I played the entire game with a hand cannon, <laughs> right? And I didn't do any of the side quests or whatever because, like, I didn't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, and I guess the point is, I'm a big advocate of things happen because people do things, right? And everybody has ideas, but very few people execute. And the thing is, most people don't, I think it's related to the allegory of the cave. People don't execute because they're afraid. Really cool. So most of my life, I, I've been a person who asks people if they want to do things. And, you know, when I was a kid, my mom was like, why don't you, um... so my, my mom would be like, why don't you let them call you? And I said, because I want to do something now, and they might not call, yeah. right? And, um, and so my point is, the worst thing that can happen if you ask somebody if you can do something is they could say no. And that's not actually very bad. And I feel like people have been sold this weird bill of goods where there's, you know, there's a lot of fear and stuff about trying. And there's no... There's no so that, uh, it, it costs you nothing to ask if you can do something. And I'll give you an example. I had this idea for making um, a motorcycle jacket that had uh, uh, electrical generating fabric. Because have you ever ridden a motorcycle? So I, I have one. It has what's called a fly screen, a little tiny screen. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a big one. So the wind's hitting you, and you're you're buffeting the whole time. And it occurred to me that um, there's electrical clothing now that reacts to stretching or moving, and uh, that if I made a jacket out of that. I could charge all of my devices while I was riding a motorcycle. And so I, I started writing to people, and I found these people at the University of Sweden or something who were working on this. And initially she was like, we're not selling anything, get away from me, whatever. And I was like, no, I have an idea, I want to try the idea. And after two or three emails, she was like, oh, okay. I, listen, I can't help you, but go here and look at this. You know what I mean? And she totally helped me. And my point is, you know, I don't know if people have been told you can't do something or they're afraid of getting laughed at or whatever, but if you... So many things in the world have happened because people have tried. You want to try? I, let me reset it for you. Oh, it's reset. I, you're good to go. Press the A and then you're going to keep pressing A for a while. Um, does that make sense, what I'm trying yes. to say? Yeah, you know, yeah. Sorry, it, it, there's a lot going on. Yeah, no, it's fine, yeah. Um, but it's, it, better, it's better to be busy than not. Yeah, no, exactly, it's great. Yeah. This is a, so this is the first time I've ever exhibited a game anywhere. And um, yeah. and this seemed right up my alley, because it is a narrative game. And, yeah. Um, it's a, I think it's also got, it's got a very unique USP as well. And I yeah. think that's quite trying. It's got a very unique aesthetic. It's got a very, compared to everyone else, it's got like, you have to use like a little portable device to use it. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and that's got quite attractive. So I'm like, yeah, by the time, yeah. I've probably edited it say, but quite a few times you've had to stop because you've been talking to people. So yeah, one more time. A few times when we've been talking, you've had to cut because of quite people being interested in meeting some people too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And yeah, they say it's better to that. And it's quite, yeah, it's one of the more um, interesting interesting uh, games seen so far today. So That's very yeah. kind of you. Thank you. Yeah. But, um, thank you so much, Chris, for speaking to me. And I look forward to... I look forward to hearing this. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Matt. No worries. Testing, testing. Testing, testing. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So I'm with David and Sophie Younger from Foolish Mortals. So, uh, yeah, so how are you find the day so far? 
really good. This is the first time we've ever exhibited our game anywhere, and it's the first time we've seen people play it in person anywhere. So it's, it's, yeah, it's exciting. Really exciting to see people play the game and watch live reactions, which we've never had before. So. Okay. Although at times frustrating when we see them hover over the correct hotspot to interact with and then move the mouse somewhere else when no, go back. But. You don't want to give it away. You kind of watch yourself smile and then, oh. Yeah. Very similar conversations I've had with other um, devs throughout the day where like, I've asked them, like, oh, what's it like looking at people and like, watching people playing and like, going, it's probably the yeah. best quality assurance you probably ever get for exactly, play. yeah. Great playtesting. Yeah. 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 And when they laugh at the right places, that's very rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how did the idea of Foolish Mortals come across? Um, well, for me, I've, I've wanted to make an adventure game since I was five. So when I was, when I was five years old, I used to draw out scenes on paper, cut out hot spots and blue tech them onto the scenes so that my friends could play the adventure games that I've made. So I've always known that I wanted to make an adventure game. And okay. then when COVID came about and kind of everyone paused for a while, I realized, well, this is a good opportunity to go and achieve that dream that I've always wanted to do. And so, yeah, we just jumped into it. I think originally I came up with three story possibilities for the adventure games that I wanted to do. One I really wanted to do, one I sort of wanted to do, one I didn't, I thought maybe. And I actually went with the third one, the one I wasn't pa extremely passionate about because I thought it's my first game, I, if I'll make mistakes, that's okay. But then as I've worked on it, it's just the passion has grown and grown and the game has grown and grown and I'm yeah. really it, proud of it. It was like. going to start off as a really small project as the, because it's the first adventure game we've ever made. Um, yeah, and then it just got bigger and bigger as we got more and more into it. And yeah. So it's, so it's just the two, it's just the two of you guys? It's, it's just the two of us that are full-time on it, and then we have um, loads of people we contracted for the artwork. Uh, we work with an amazing animation studio in Cardiff um, called Demi Custom Animation, um, and then we have like four background artists, character artists, musician, a graphic designer. It's quite a big team. It's twenty-something people in total. So for something that was supposed to be just like a small, like, a, exactly. oh, let's just test see if I, quite, if I like making adventure games. Yes. Okay, it's turned into this massive, like, yeah. two-figure... Yeah. Turns out I really like making adventure games. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, I'm writing, directing, producing, and then Sophie is doing all of the programming, and this is the first ever thing she's programmed as well. <laughs> yeah, so that's been a fun learning curve. So I used to just have a, quote, normal job. I just... <laughs> I used to be a primary school teacher um, and yeah then I went on maternity leave uh, and started programming the skeleton game uh, when David first started coming about coming up with the ideas and found out that I just really loved it and so essentially didn't go back to work after maternity leave. So, just... so did you have any programming backgrounds at all before you started or was it just no. the case of I need to keep myself busy while pregnant? That was pretty much it, yeah, and David was, I knew he was working on this game and originally he wanted to program it himself, which would have made the project take about 10 years rather than yeah. three That was a terrible over. idea in retrospect, <laughs> so I'm very relieved that Sophie is an amazing programmer. Uh, yeah, um, I've only recently started messing around with like uh, Renpy or pro Python programming stuff and I'm like, it's suddenly just grown and grown for something that was supposed to be an, an example, like a oh, proof of concept thing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if I added this and stuff, and it's like, it's me and the hours, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's like loathing past me for making these decisions. Right. But, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so, um, so, Food for so what's it about? So, so it's set in 1933 Louisiana. You yeah. play Murphy McCallan, 
who comes to the island of Devil's Rock to try and find the lost treasure of Belmore Manor. Mm-hmm. And Belmore Manor is a, a, a big estate house where 30 years ago, an entire wedding that was taking place at the house suddenly mysteriously vanished. And with it, the location of the lost treasure of Belmore Manor went to. When you get to the island, you're directed to a witch doctor in the bayou, and he tells you that if the ghosts of the house are the only people that know where the treasure lies, you're going to have to summon the ghosts and ask them where it is. But when you do that, you also summon an evil phantom who's determined to find the treasure before you, and it becomes a race to who gets to it first. Ah, okay. And so, yeah, so my next question is, is what, why did you go with the direct, like the art direction? And like the rhythm, was it was that always meant? Oh, I wanted something that looks like Broken Sword, or just that's the thing. I think Broken Sword is one of those beautiful games ever made. So I knew I wanted. It's actually a mixture of. We went with Broken Sword style line work, yeah. um, but Monkey Island style colouring. So all of the deep blues for the skies, the rich oranges and for the warm lanterns. You say that, because, yeah, because I think, um, yeah, listeners, you can't actually see what I'm doing looking at at the moment, because so someone's playing it at the moment. But uh, yeah, the character models have all got that kind of uh, revolution, kind yes. of like very kind of nice, uh, like 90 style look. The animation's a lot smoother, I think. Well, it's been like 25 years, since, 25 and 30 years before Broken Sword. But yeah, the moment you said Monkey Island colouring, well, one, you've got the, the Curse of Monkey Island fonts, which Curse of Monkey Island's my favourite game, so that's immediately going <laughs> from that. Um, it's it's, it's ma- actually very, it's a slightly different font. It's not the exact same one. Yeah, okay. Although, for, as legal, little, for legal reasons. <laughs> well, for, as, a fact, as a little factoid, it's the same one that's used in Nelly Kutalot 2. Ah, okay. So, yeah. But yeah, but I think, yeah, and you said, as soon as you said Monkey Island, I mean, the scene that's on now, it's very Blood Island-esque from... Uh, yeah, I and think the map, the map, the, the map screen as well was like a very beautiful looking map. And stuff, yeah, so. and the and, um, um, the part screen as well that kind of show up between each part of the game. That's very Monkey Island. Yeah, um, and the puzzle structure as well, rather than a linear broken sword structure, we've gone with a kind of um, multiple goal structure. So you've yeah. kind of always got something to work on if so you, you get can a flip bit between, stuck. like you get stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, multi, yeah. the multi-path type thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what's the talent? Is it is it comedic? Is it serious? Is it? Um, it it's not a comedy game, but it's got comedy moments in it. It's so the broken sword. The broken sword. Of, so yeah. the comedy yeah. comes from like the eccentric characters you'll meet and the strange situations you get into. But there's no like call outs to other adventure games. There's no in jokes. No. There's no break in the. Yeah. yeah. So it's, so it doesn't it doesn't go towards the Monkey Island level of absurdity at no. times. No. It, it, it keeps that kind of like. Oh, is it naturalistic humour at all? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, it's all kind of diegetic, in-world. No, yeah, yeah, diegetic, that's the right word. Yeah, yeah, that's and it, it's all, yeah. pretty much all the puzzles are inventory-based puzzles, so we have a, a hundred, about a hundred items in the game. Um, but they're not Monkey Island-style puzzles of cartoon logic. It is, it is meant to uh, be realistic. So, so nothing like Discworld, where you pick up the suffragettes and... Yeah. yeah, you literally pick up the stuff and get into the thing. Yeah, yeah. okay. But, no yeah, I mean, yeah. At the moment now, the, the the map screen like it looks looks really beautiful artwork. So the so you say you hired out the you contracted out the artwork. So yes. is it all? Is it the art direction was that from you and then they designed that? So yeah. So we, it's I would draw the initial um, the rough, the rough sketch for it. I give that to a concept artist. They give it back. I'd edit it and then give it to a line work artist. They'd give it back. I'd edit edit it again and give it to a colorist um, yeah, and by doing it that way it meant that the line work is consistent throughout the whole game the coloring is consistent throughout the whole game and it, it, yeah it, and it, it also it, it kind of sped up the process for us as well and allowed as soon as we've had the line work done that can be passed on to the colorist and then the line work artist can start on a new background 
so it yeah. kind of made the flow of the work a lot, a yeah. lot more efficient. Yeah, I think if, if yeah, anyone listening who's not looked at it, look it up because it looks absolutely stunning. Yeah, say, the, the back, to jump back what you said about Blood Island, it was like yeah. Blood Island, Scab Island, River Carver, all of those adventure game locales yeah. that take place at night yes. are so evocative and atmospheric. That's what we wanted to go for. So we've yeah. got the moon shimmering on the sea, we've got um, fireflies in the background, um, we've got all of those things, that, trees it's, swaying. Yeah, it's. Yeah, there's like a whole lot of conversation that we had about um, oh something looking retro, but you've got something that even though technically this could be classed as retro now, you've got modern day technology running like that kind of like two D yeah. feel and stuff, yeah. and, it, and it, it amplifies that stuff. It's um, I think Ron Gilbert mentioned it when he was doing uh, Wee Park, mm. where you've got you've got modern technology like. But it's doing stuff that you can't actually do back right. in the end stuff. Yes, and yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, honestly, like, the artwork's breathtaking. I think mean, it's, it's amazing. So, yeah, all credit to that. So, uh, yeah, moving slightly away from the actual game itself, I'm going to head to the Ask Us About Loom section of the interview. Um, so, I'm assuming you not, have you had a chance to walk, look at anything else? Not at all. No. No, one has. no one has. I mean, we didn't eat yeah. lunch until two o'clock, and that was the first meal we had all day. So we it's didn't have a breakfast or yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I, I see that as positive, which means that people have been constantly like bombarding you and being interested in the, uh, the thing and stuff. But uh, okay, so moving away from that, so what have you been playing recently, or, or what? So have you been playing anything recently just to get away from development when you've not? Well, funny enough, so we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and um, I've never played the Pajama Sam games before. Okay. But I wanted to get our oldest into adventure games because he constantly sees mummy and daddy working on an adventure game. <laughs> he doesn't quite know what they are. So uh, two weeks ago, we played Pajama Sam as his first ever adventure game. And he absolutely loved her. It must okay. be must be in his genes. Um, <laughs> we, we, we went to play it for 45 minutes, and uh, it was hit his bedtime, and he just could not go to bed because he was too engrossed by it. So we let him stay up and play through the whole game. <laughs> and then the next night, we played through Pajama Sam 2 as well. That's really and I, nice. yeah, I'd never played the kid-focused adventure games before, so it was really interesting to see what they were like. Yeah, I've got a friend who um, I, I think it's a couple of years ago, so his daughter was probably about five or six at the time so he started going through like the Monkey Island games um, and like she was sat in front of lap and like playing as a family and stuff and they, he was saying they're quite receptive to them I mean like you probably wouldn't be able to get a six year old playing them on their own right. but I think as I like, kind of like ease them into the genre yeah. which is interesting I remember playing Monkey Island The Secret of Monkey Island was my first ever adventure game when I was five and I must have played it for weeks and weeks and weeks before realising you could go to the map screen <laughs> but it didn't stop my enjoyment of it I was, yeah. was I think it was about I was quite, I say late, I was about nine, eight or nine when I had the Amiga, and I think I played it then and stuff. Yeah, 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 so it's like, yeah, it was like, 94, 95, yeah, it was like, yeah. Then I think the the last game we completed was Hobbs Barrow. Hobbs Barrow, yeah, which was like this time last year, so as you can tell, it's been a really full-on experience making our game, Um, so we haven't had much time to play other adventure games. Yeah. All the yeah. time that we would have, that we used to spend playing them, is now spent developing hours. Yeah, but, but Hobbs Barrow yeah, was incredible. Yeah, Hobbs Barrow was great. Also, the next episode, if this is out before the next episode, I'll ask us about Moon. So, uh, <laughs> oh. yeah, nice little plug for myself there. But um, yeah, no, you mean yeah, Hobbs Barrow, 
great game. And we, yeah. we were we were lucky enough to play that whilst in a cottage in the Lake District. We were on holiday, so and it was raining outside. It was atmospheric. It fit the atmosphere of the game. Perfectly. Oh wow, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's really good. Yeah. Um, Such a good game. Yeah. So um, David, Sophie, thank you very much for chatting to me, and I look forward to hearing more about. Thank you. Thank you. So that was part one of our interviews at Adventure X 2023. A huge, huge thank you to Matt Latham for doing the interviews and for uh, sending them on as well uh, to be uploaded. Um, so as I said, uh, I'd really encourage people to subscribe and uh, listen to his podcast, Ask Us About Loom. He also does a music podcast called Pick a Disc as well, if, uh, if people would like to check that out. Uh, so next week, we will listen to part two of our interviews at AdventureX. Uh, so I will see you then. So take care, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>the adventure games podcast then please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts please leave a review on itunes if you can as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast now you can also follow me on social media you can follow me on twitter at Advent Game Pod, and follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well, and we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a Adventure Game developer or a Adventure Game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who. You believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you